Hey everyone, due to the nature of today's episode, we are going to change our format a bit. We're only able to be here with you every week because we have the support of our incredible sponsors, like the folks we talk about weekly who come here to support this podcast. But this week, as a team, we've chosen not to air ads. It doesn't feel right for this episode of Drama Queens. So when we start discussing this episode, we're all just going to stay in it with you. It feels like a hard one to take breaks on, and we're very grateful to all of our sponsors for giving us permission to air this episode uninterrupted, and we love you. This episode deals with the topics of depression and suicide. If you or someone you know is suffering, please call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by dialing 988. Hey, you guys. We're not even going to try to hide uh, the emotions in this one. Um, This week we're watching season three, episode 16. With tired eyes, tired minds, tired souls, we slept. Uh, You might remember that this aired March 1st of 2006. And 316 is the episode where a regular school day at Tree Hill High um, turns incredibly dangerous and into a tragedy because Jimmy Edwards brings a gun to school. And um, we're all a mess. And we've been reading a lot of your messages. And I think what's struck the three of us so much is that a lot of you have written about how you've rewatched this show so many times before we started our podcast and that very often you all skip this episode. Yeah. And, um, I kind of wish we could have skipped this episode, but I'm glad we're going to talk about it. I am too. Ugh. First and foremost, I love you guys. Yeah, I'm having trouble like making eye contact because I just... Me too. No, I don't want to yeah. f***ing do it. So... um, Here's what I want to say, though, before we bring in our guest today, because we're really lucky that we have a fabulous guest today. We'll bring them in very soon. Um... As the mother of a boy, this is something that has troubled me since the moment he was born. And years after we shot this episode, in 2010, a book came out called Columbine. And it was written by one of the first journalists who arrived on that scene. He helped perpetuate the myth that it was the loners and the kids that were bullied that were Mm -hmm. committing these crimes. And then he spent the last, then the the 10 years after that undoing it as he learned more about the boys that, um, that did Columbine. And as a mother, it was really important to me to learn more about that kind of anger um, that kind of behavior, what the warning signs are. And so we, as the first generation of people who lived through Columbine, I was a, Sophia and I were juniors when it happened. Joy, you were a senior. You know, it happened while we were in high school. And um, I think it's safe to say it affected all of us a lot. And yeah. now we're parents. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do about it? You know, that's what's really um, heavy is that 
I think when we were teenagers, we thought the grownups would fix it. And here we are, the grownups, and we're still yeah. dealing with it. And um, mm-hmm. I wish we'd known when we filmed this episode what we have come to know about how these situations get built up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the reaction's the same. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I think we've learned a lot about the kinds of people who, who perpetrate these crimes. It's not the trench coat mafia. It's not my friends who were the goth yeah. kids. No. It's not even right. the bullied kids. It's the radicalized, misogynistic kids who are engaged in forms of domestic violence. Um, mm-hmm. There are red flags. And so mm-hmm. Colin did a wonderful job with yeah with the information we had at the time. Um, well, he did such a beautiful job with what was written, and he he humanized a person's suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an incredible skill as a performer to play someone who could be put in the category of villain at a level like this, you know, someone who shoots up a school. Yeah. And I don't know if it was happenstance or intentional that, they did make him such a different character. You know, they made him a kid with a handgun who fired a warning shot. They made him... Yeah. They, he isn't one of the kids who does this. And you're right. It's incredibly important that as we have all the information we have, we talk about, you know, the grooming by violent extremist groups of young boys in this country online. And that we didn't know any of that then. That didn't no. that didn't exist in our awareness then. And there is a part of me that wonders if, and I'm only realizing I wish we could ask the writers in this moment, if if for th- some of the reasons or some of the understanding that we didn't know why kids were carrying assault rifles into high schools, is that why they wrote Jimmy to be different? Is is that why they wrote this differently? Is that why they humanized every single person in that tutor center in the way that they did? I I don't know the answers, but um, I do think, to your point, Hill, it's incredibly important that we we get clear on what we know Mm -hmm. about how this happens while we also go through the emotions of experiencing something like this together. That was rough. It was so hard to watch, and so I was so blown away by Colin's performance. Um, that moment when he fired the first shot and his eyes went wide, mm-hmm. and he was just so shocked at the his own behavior, what he was capable. He was of. scared, but he was scared. But it's like once you once you make that choice, any choice in life that is. Um, wrong but uh you do it and then you you have to decide whether you're gonna double down or quickly say whoa this is wrong i'm 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 backing out and very rarely i think do people back out um and then you know to watch it all just continue to snowball downhill as he continued to fall down into this pit of despair Mm. it was hard do you guys remember when we got the script like joy you were the one in the classroom with jimmy do you remember getting the script for this 
I don't remember getting the script. I wish I did. Well, I just remember being really mad because I did not Mm -hmm. want to do this. Like, I've always really believed in the power of words and the power of suggestion. And the more you talk about something, the more it happens. And that was my mindset Mm -hmm. in my early 20s. Like, why are we even bringing this up? Why are we planting this seed? I mean, here we are almost 20 years later, and the shit just keeps happening no matter how much we talk about it. I remember getting the script, and I remember they printed it all on red pages so it couldn't be copied or leaked or anything. And, um, you know, Hill, to your point about Columbine, I, like, I had to go be by myself for a while after I read this because it took me Mm. back to junior year in Mr. Hallman's science class. One of my best friends from growing up lived in Colorado starting in high school. And for the first, I think it was like an hour when we heard there was a school shooting in Colorado. Nobody, nobody knew where, or at least yeah. we couldn't get information in our class. Like Nobody had iPhones. You couldn't look no. shit up. And we were teenagers, you know? yeah. and it's not like they put the news on in school, and we were just waiting. And I remember thinking, like, what if it's her school? And this script really brought that home like oh this this we now are tasked with representing the people who say today it's my school yeah and it it was hard i mean this this stuff is it's hard to know you know they said well if we're gonna go out let's let's tell the truest story we know and yeah there's the reality of why are we gonna put this on tv and there's there's so many things that are true at the same time. We need to examine this. And are we setting, are we putting this in someone's mind? And are we going to traumatize people? Or are we going to educate people? Or it's so big. And it, it felt like an education to me. I thought it was so beautifully done. I mean, the th- things that were said, mouth is, mouth's speech. Oh, speech um, beautiful. Incredible. Um, the the whole conversation was had from all angles and i loved that that they everyone addressed all of their feelings and fears and it was just all laid out in the open and um i i thought it was done really really well and that's really on colin i mean he grounded this episode i i can't imagine being handed this script as him. Mm. Yeah. Bring him in. Where's our friend? Guys, we're so lucky that Colin is joining us today. There's no way we could have this conversation without him. Um, So Colin Fickus is here to join us. Our very own Jimmy Edwards, the most beloved bad guy in the history of One Tree mm. Hill. He's he's not a bad kid. He's not I, a bad kid. Colin. He's a good kid. Hi, Colin. I miss you. Hi. I'm the weirdo that waves in Zoom. <laughs> yeah, you do too. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, you look great. It's great to see you. You're it's the fun you. one. You're absolutely the fun one. And we have to talk about dark shit with you. And that uh, okay. that's hard. So We can do it. We can do it. We can do hard things, right? <sighs> Mm. Love you That's so right. much. Where are you right now? Are you in the city? I'm in the city. Yeah. I'm in, uh, we have an apartment in the city. And then I, 
uh, I am moving upstate for my job. Yeah, so you are. I my house yesterday. So um, lots of things happening. It's yeah. good to see y'all. Congrats. Oh, I'm so good to see you. Um, Colin, did you watch the episode or was it too hard to... I did, um, but I also fast forwarded some because I was just like, it's, yeah. I think about the Paul Thomas Anderson quote from Magnolia a lot. Like you may be through with the past, but the past is not through with you. Mm. I think that's mm. fairly relevant for what we're doing here, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. Well, so we, you were amazing. Let's talk about your experience on the show though. Cause I think that okay. did play a part in kind of how this all came full circle. Um, you know, we've definitely talked about things that have gone on behind the scenes on One Tree Hill. And I know that you were not treated well behind the scenes. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. And I don't want to talk negatively, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the most ideal thing that happened. Um, I know we have a limited amount of time, but um, I, I wanted to audition in LA. I'd been living in LA for several years already. I'd lived in New York for three years Mm. Um, and so I'd kind of branched out from North Carolina. I'm originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. And so growing up, I would go to drive two hours to Wilmington for auditions. I knew Lee Norris as a kid, uh, mm-hmm. we would audition together sometimes. So we kind of already had that relationship and I know they were already eyeing him for the, for the role of mouth. And I was like, Hey guys, I'd love to be a part of it. Can I audition in LA? Cause I had other friends auditioning in LA and they were like, this is a local hire. And then I was like, well, you know, can I please audition in LA? And, um, you know, I live here and I think that might be tough to do. And then um, they finally granted me an audition in LA and um, they're like, nope, nope, not right uh, for the part. And then um, Fink Cannon and Associates, the casting agents in North Carolina were huge champions of mine and they're amazing. And Mm -hmm. they're like, we promise you he's right. He knows Lee. Um, just, you know, give them another chance. And so then on my own dime, I went to North Carolina and did the exact mm. same audition I did in the room in LA. And they're like, you got the job, kid. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I ended up having, you know, to, you know, get myself to North Carolina. I was paying for an apartment in North Carolina. I was also mm. at my place in LA. Mm. And so what happened is I ended up leaving the show because I couldn't afford to stay. Um, and I noticed in the second and third episode as scripts were, you know, getting revised, uh, we were getting, uh, or at least my part was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and working one day at, for every two weeks or whatever it was, I, I couldn't make it work. Um, yeah. And so I, I didn't want to leave, but um, you know, it was hard. And then you have the creator saying things like the studio, they only want the pretty people and I'm really trying to fight for y'all. And then I felt bad for leaving because I knew he oh. was trying to fight and uh, fight for me to stay. And um, so it was difficult and I didn't want to leave, but also in hindsight, I mean, it's the most amazing thing because I always wanted to be this dramatic actor. I wanted to be like the next Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was like my <laughs> dream and had done some indie movies and like wanted to do like drama. And and so to get to come back and do this was so much fun as hard as it was, but um, you know, so like, yeah, that was, that was tough. Well, it feels meta. It feels like yeah, Jimmy Edwards feel included. was left behind by the group in season one, mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. to like become this big deal in our season three storyline. And behind the scenes, our show loved taking things that were happening in real life and kind of utilizing them on screen. Yeah. And so it, yeah. you know, that was that was your story and Jimmy's story of we're going to leave you behind, but then we're going to bring you back in like huge fashion. Um, 
Meanwhile, how did they know you were such a good dramatic actor? Because, Colin, there's no one else who could have done this. No. They trusted you with this entire episode, which was so, I mean, it was all resting on you. If you didn't pull that off, it it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I don't know where that trust came from. I really don't, because I'm trying to think, had I done anything at that point um, where they would have seen that? I'm not sure. I guess they took a big chance on me. And Mm. it's so funny, too, how it happened. My friend Caroline Ventura was at a bar in L.A. and met one of the writers, I think. And she calls me and she's like, I met this dude that's a writer on Winter Hill. He says you're going to be back on the show. And I was like, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. News to me. I was like, I don't think so. I don't think it ended well when I left. <laughs> then, uh, Whoa. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a call and the creator wanted to have me in the office at the Warner Brothers lot. And as I'm walking through the offices, I see the whiteboards of all the story progression. And I see Jimmy Edwards, Jimmy Edwards. And I'm like, what is happening? What? Um, wow. And we pitched the idea. And I obviously was like, Absolutely. Um, because yeah actors want to work and um you know I wanted to do the dramatic things as well um so it worked out how how did you begin to prepare for something like this because you know we've all been talking about everything shifted so dramatically you know in the late 90s when Columbine happened yeah I mean it literally it changed all of us It, it changed our country and yeah, I, I don't know. I just think at least for me, had I been in your position receiving that script, yeah. I know I would have panicked. You know, this this yeah. is big. So how how do you begin to even make sense of it? Because watching it back, we watched you so closely. And every choice you made, every everything you put under the words and and the sensitivity and, and the both and and the rage and the shame and the fear, it, it's it's just so present and alive on screen and on your face. And maybe it's a defense mechanism because the emotional stuff makes me sob hysterically when we talk about it. So I'm like, talk yeah. to me about your craft, yeah. Colin. Let's <laughs> well, make it me. functional. Functional. But, but truly, how how did how did you begin to figure out how to make this true for Jimmy? Um, it, it was less about what he does and more about what he feels. I like, all I could think about was mm. what would get someone to get to this, what would cause someone to get to this place. Mm. Um, yeah. and so I started there. Um, and then obviously once I got the script, which everyone else had read the damn thing before I got it. Really? <gasps> it was what? days. I had days. What? I had days. No. Stop. I had, days. I had, I think maybe five, five days to start, you what? know, going. And I remember Hillary, I passed you at base camp one night and you're like, have you read it? Oh my God. You know? And I'm like, no, I have, didn't even know it's ready. And um, so oh. I literally locked myself in a hotel room and God bless my mom who would oh, just, just come with me on all the auditions. She Kitty. sat with me in that. He sat with me in that hotel room and ran those scenes nonstop. It's all I did. I wow. just stayed within that hotel room for several days and, and yeah. learned it. And, you know, I grew up doing theater. So it was like, I just sat there and just absorbed it all and was trying to just find all of the things in the script. And, um, but yeah, I mean, you think about all the times we've all felt like him, we've all felt excluded or not right. Or, um, you know, sad, lonely. I mean, all the descriptive words you can mm-hmm. think of. We all go through phases. Mm-hmm. I think his are obviously more intense. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of 
how I started, if that makes, I don't know, I'm rambling. It does. I remember being in that room with you and that you were, uh, that we were all so impressed with how, I mean, you knew every word, you knew it, you knew it all. I didn't, um, I didn't want to waste no... anyone's time. And I know yeah. when a crew member is one in the morning and they're wanting to go home and sleep, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to know all of these lines. You're such a pro. I mean, we all had the patience. We had, we all were ready to, for, I think none, none of us knew really what to expect when we walked in that day, I mean, other than what was on the page, but. Um, well, everyone was ready. I mean, everyone was so, everyone showed up. And Joy, mm -hmm, I loved yeah. being in that tutor, was it the tutor room with, with you? Because yeah. I, I just remember locking in with you a lot during that. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. it was nice because those too. were long days. Th that was they tough. Were. I remember losing my voice because yeah. we were yeah. we were somewhat shooting in order. And I learned so much as an actor doing it because I was like, don't, you know, don't blow it all in the first take. You got to kind of <laughs> have reserves and save, you know, yeah. they were even contemplating, I lost my voice. They were going to give me like a shot in my neck or something that was going to like get my voice oh my back. Gosh. Wait, I remember, yep. I remember hearing something about this too. And then I was taking like TheraFlu to try to get my voice better. And yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I even, this is TMI, but I threw up uh, the very opening scene with the cigarette, I guess from, it was early in the morning when we were shooting it and oh that no. with the, the TheraFlu or whatever, I like, I totally puked. Colin, this sounds a miserable experience. <laughs> you know, normally on set, you have the levity, you have the relief of the levity between scenes and the, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of hanging around shooting the shit yeah. thing. But that was not, none of us had that for this mm -hmm. episode at all. There was no relief. It was, somber. Yeah. It was relentless. Yeah. And I think it it worked for us performance-wise, mm -hmm. but it was, it, it was exhausting. And I'm so glad that we all had each other yeah. and that, you know, A, that you were so prepared and so ready and vulnerable and ready to do, you know, whatever it took. And it really set an example for for everybody to to show up in the same way. And, and I just everyone did. did. I don't job. think, you know, acting is not just one person. It's the yeah. whole the whole yeah. team. And speaking of, I will say, I was so amazed that Sophia, you and Lee came back to set. I think Hillary, you were already there. And so like for, for the last shot, I just have to say it, like y'all came back and it was like, it was so amazing. Joy, you were probably exhausted and that's because <laughs> that know. week was, we had so many crazy yeah. scenes there, yeah. but I just remember yeah. that. And it's, it really is those oh. little things that like really make it all count. But I was going to quickly say when we rehearsed the, um, I wore a bulletproof vest and there was a blank in the gun. And we actually, apparently from what I heard, the props master, whoever it was, told me that we rehearsed that on the same soundstage that Brendan Lee was shot in. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Really? Yeah. yeah, it was super creepy. Oh, so it was like yeah. really heavy. And then I don't know if you've ever done that in a scene, but I couldn't sleep. I like kept thinking I was dead that night. Like I was checking oh my, my gosh. It was so really? crazy. And I'm not a method actor by any means, but like it it was a it was a mind trip for sure. That was it was just so intense where you went. And in the in that last scene, I remember watching it at the time coming back and I remember watching it when it aired and I and even watching it today it's like I have such visceral sense memory mm -hmm. of Sorry. um you got of it what it felt like like watching the way that you were beating your chest yeah. did this like it broke my heart and again just what you brought to it. it there was something really incredible 
even as a viewer, about being in that tutor center with you all because they gave us our core team Mm -hmm. and then they gave us the the newer characters, you know, Rachel being the the newest sort of main person and then the the jock kid whose mom calls and Abby, you know, who's a diabetic, such a beautiful actor. And and everyone's experiences are represented. Yeah. Everyone gets to voice how they might be a stereotype, but they also have their own experience nobody sees. And I remember while we watched it, what, 45 minutes ago now, thinking, wow, they did this thing where everyone's telling the truth, even though their truths are different. Yeah. Mm. And, And you just brought it over and over and over again. And yeah, I even then it it felt like something so important to witness, and it feels so important to to witness it again. And I'm just and why is this still out. happening? Why does it still happen? I, I mm-hmm. it, that is the thing that really was difficult yeah. for me watching this because I feel like the goal when we made this episode, mm-hmm. like what was our goal? Let's think about that. Was it to educate? Grownups or kids? There's a parental advisory at the beginning of the episode. And when we Mm -hmm. first started watching, I was struck by that. Like, oh, there's a parental advisory. Like, you know, make sure you watch this with a parent. And Mm -hmm. as I continued to watch the episode, it felt more like there shouldn't be a parental advisory to protect the kids. Like, why why are we placing all this blame on the kids? The kids. It's mm-hmm. not the bullying. It's not it it's not these things that we blamed it on in 2006 yeah. whenever this aired. We know that the factors that lead up to this are different now mm-hmm. because we have the data, yep. we have the research, we have decades of information. Mm-hmm. There should have been a parental like mandatory viewing. Like, hey kid, yeah. go get your parent. Go get yeah. the person in your household that votes. Go get the person in your household that's supposed to be watching what you do online. Yeah. You know, like 100%. That's how I read the discretion actually when I saw it parental discretion advised, I thought Maybe I read it the wrong way, but my I was like, oh, this is means that you should be having a conversation with your kids about this. That's what they're trying to say. Well, yeah. Go go mm-hmm. pull the grown-up into the room because I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's true because parents need look, I think it's hard for any of us to admit some of the more nefarious things in the world. It's very hard to reconcile with the fact that there are, you know pro-domestic violence and white supremacist terrorists organizations that are grooming boys online. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. Like, it's much easier to say, if I teach my kid to be nice, maybe this will be different. It's it's hard to look at something so large and, and societal. And interestingly, what I thought the writers did very beautifully was they really made you feel for... For Jimmy and Colin, mm-hmm. you did that as an actor. You made us feel for this mm-hmm. person who said, all my days have been bad. And you realize yeah. Rachel's right when she says, it's just 700 days. Yeah. And Keith is right yeah. when he says, it gets better when you leave here. And Mouth, when he's like yes, the artist right. and the poet. Yes. Like yes. none, of, the, none yeah. of those people ever fit in. And they Never. become magic <laughs> because of it. It's yes. all true. Yeah. And it's true mm-hmm. that people need to feel looked out for. And, and something I'll never forget that really helped me see 
that all of these things can be true at the same time. After the the Parkland shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, one of the young women, Emma, who's become you know a huge leader in the in the movement of kids against violence like this, said, "Don't tell me as a young girl it was my responsibility to be nicer to my abuser." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Ooh, yep. say it again, young lady." Yep. And she's not wrong. Mm-mm. You know, you shouldn't put vulnerable people in harm's way um, and say, yeah, I know that person's violent and scary, but just be even nicer to them. And it's important. You know, Joy, you said something a couple of weeks ago about how you always encourage your daughter. If she sees someone who's alone and like looks scared to go say hi to them during lunch. And that is yeah. so important. And and also knowing like something else I talked to her about is the, my mother always taught me is if somebody is bullying you it's because that's happening to them at home and so Mm. it's not that you have to turn around and in kind you don't retaliate you don't necessarily have to like have lunch with them and take them under your wing and try and like not everyone's gonna be them over (laughs) yeah right but it but but you could if you if you felt called to do so but um so it is it's exactly what you're saying sophia it's so beautifully said that so many things can be true at the same time and it's so complicated and that's why i feel like these are the conversations we need kids to be having with their parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you want, you, want kids, you want kids to feel safe enough. This is what I've actually just learned as a human being. People can't help you until you vocalize and ask. Mm, oh my God, say Oof. that again. Yes. You, you, really, you really, you think it in your head and, and you feel like somehow that you've, that the world knows what you need mm. as a person, at, you know, in love and in life and in work and whatever. But until you vocalize it and really say it, like no one can help you. And so I hope it's for kids to be like, I need to speak up. This is how I'm feeling, good or bad. Yes. And open dialogue. But also I have to say too, this relates back to this show and what you ladies went through. How many other, and I don't want to, you know, how many other powerful, it's not just the creator. Mm -hmm. How many other people were there and heard things and saw things and just. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, you look at Trump as well. How many other white men in power could have done something? Mm. Yeah, yeah. No one mm. did. Right. I want to give you all the snaps. Well, enablers feel sometimes more dangerous than the the perpetrator because there's more of them, and mm. enablers mm. normalize mm. things and they gaslight you and make you feel like, wait a second, I'm hurting. Am I the problem? Yeah. It's yeah. Wow, Colin losing. Jimmy in this episode um, was difficult for me because it meant that we lost you. You know, there mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. until yeah. Jimmy yeah. dies, there was always this hope, like, oh yeah, Colin's gonna come back and like be full time again. You know, like well, that's it wasn't. Something I always wanted to be on the show. I never wanted to leave. I know you I, didn't. You know, it just no. The and, the, uh, the behind the scenes politics was bad, and so to mm-hmm. lose you permanently after just losing Cheryl Lee permanently, like yeah. season three uh, is I just know. like evil. Oh, um, it was brutal uh, for us losing you guys. But no, but let's talk about what the fallout from this episode was, because yeah. I remember being very nervous that this was going to air for probably very different reasons than yeah, you. I remember that. Yeah. You know, like how did the world react to you mm. in this episode? Um, you know what's funny? My sister, when she she came down for like one of the final days and she was like, a lot of people are going to see this. And I, for some dumb reason, I guess I was just trying to learn the lines in time, but yeah. I, I, I wasn't even thinking about 
after. Yeah. I was wow. just trying to get to that finish line of like being as yeah. honest as I could for the you character and show up and do my job. Um, and then so my sister, Mary Holt, had said, you know, God, this is going to be a lot of people are going to see this and it's it's going to be crazy. And um, all the responses have been amazing. I mean, I, I was getting fan mail for a while from all over the world. People were telling me stories of times they almost committed suicide and mm-hmm. what made them stop. Um, times that wow. they felt lonely and they've done all this inner work and like learning, you know, it, it, um, it had an impact and I know that for sure. And so I know it sounds cliche, but the whole thing of if one person's affected and, but it is true. And, yeah, um, true. so it's been pretty amazing. There was one thing that was hilarious. I'll never forget. I was like at the coffee bean and tea leaf in LA a couple months after, I guess it aired. And I walk up and this girl was like, you on one Hill, you were so funny. Oh and, no. Uh, <laughs> But I had forgotten that there, I guess there was funny stuff in the beginning. Yeah. You know? Maybe that's what she was referencing. Yeah. And and then everyone's like, you killed Peyton. And I'm like, I just shot her in the leg. I didn't kill uh, her. Oh. You know? so, I don't know. It was interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's still even at 42. It's like people remember it. People talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's definitely I, in the top five most iconic episodes of our show. I, I would say in the absolutely. top yes. two or three, you know, it yeah, for sure. is such a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you going to say, Joy? I, well, I was going to say that I, what you were talking about, about it's having a long lasting impact. And it made me think of another reason why it is great for kids to watch something like this and hear all those speeches about, you know, it, you're supposed to get past it. It does get better. And all of those yeah. things is that. One element of it is that that I, that really struck me when I was watching is I noticed how many times Jimmy was talking about me, me, me. This is what happens to me. This is how I feel. This is what I go through. And you know, we're you know, Hillary, you and I are. Colin, do you have kids? Hell no, I can't even keep a plant alive. <laughs> Like even a succulent. Succulents are like oh the easiest guys to keep alive. I know what I I'm getting them. you for your new house. Someone's no getting plans. some silk plants. No plants. <laughs> All right. Well, Hilarina, you know, you and I are raising kids and kids are little narcissists and that's kind of how they're born into the world. And then as we, as they grow, we teach them how to have empathy and how to grow out of that. And hopefully by the time you're in high school, you're at the tail end of it and you're really learning how to see the world through the lens of how can I serve? How can I be of service? Um, And it's not so much just about me and how everything's impacting me, but it is high drama. And of course, that's how we all are feeling when, you know, once you hit high school, the drama is high and it's just so much self-focus. And um, I don't don't know, as I was, as we were watching the episode, it, it, I had never seen it that through that lens before, but it really started hitting me that um, I hope that, part of the long lasting effects of this were that kids were able to watch that and see it's not so much just about how I see things that as you're saying, Sophia, all these things can be true at the same time. Uh, it is complicated. There are multiple people, people's experiences that we all, you know, sift through and live through. And um, I just hope that, and I don't know, maybe if you heard some of that as you, as people talk to you about seeing things through uh, from a new perspective, um, I don't know, is that making sense? It's a little bit of a, Word no, struggle. that makes total sense. But Colin, Colin, you went and worked in a school. Like you worked oh, in a school. Yeah. And yes. so I would love to know your perspective of like, mm. you know, we went to school in the 90s. Different planet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As these kinds of stories get told, because we weren't the only show doing this. They did this on like any other show that was yeah. about high school. There's been a version of this. Right. Um, 
Do you feel like talking about it has been helpful? Are the kids articulating things differently? Like what? And did any of them recognize you as Jimmy Edwards walking their halls? Well, luckily, I, I wasn't with the middle school and high school. It was still elementary level. Okay. I was at the <gasps> elementary school campus. But I mean, that still ha- it still happens. Like, I, there were so many issues with kids being mean to kids. You know, you would see it. Is that what you're asking? If still- yeah, I mean, I know, you know, the campaign has been like, stop bullying, stop bullying, stop bullying, right. stop bullying. And guess what? We've all had those talks with our kids, and either the bullies still the bullying is still happening or even if it's stopped, the shootings are still happening. You know, I don't know that it's the Mm -hmm. bullying. Yeah. The anger, the anger has to be coming from somewhere. Yeah. But I have to say too, as an, as on the teacher side or the um, admin side, yeah, it's it's happening with the adults too. Really? It's like, Oh yeah. And that's just like private school politics, I think, um, Mm. or school politics, but it's like the adults still do it within teachers and grades and like, Mm-hmm. You know, there's still, I hate to say it, but like there's, I, the kids are probably subconsciously seeing that too. It's like mm-hmm. the adults well, still haven't figured it out. And, you know, no kidding. It's also interesting, you know, to the point of why this stuff happens. We're talking about how now we've got the research. We've got decades of mm-hmm. research, studies, data, information, not just from our own country, but from around the world. And that's what explains why we are the only one of our peer nations where this happens. And I I was just reading this article yesterday, um, really fascinating research piece in the Times talking about how it's the same sort of targeted um, grooming of boys by these sort of alt-right groups that Mm -hmm. create this sort of misogynistic violence that mirrors between school violence and domestic violence. And it's a similar kind of hyper-focused targeted group that is promoting disinformation and polarization in our society. And they're explaining how we're more polarized now than we've been in nearly 100 years. It's like just pre-World War II level of animosity um, toward the, quote, two main groups. And the thing that really struck me is that they're saying that the difference between the hyperpolarization we're experiencing now and what we were experiencing in the 1930s is that the hyperpolarization exists in children as young as 11, mm. where it used to not happen until people were in their post-collegiate years. Wow. At least politically. And that gave me a Yeah, because ch- people used to not talk about politics well, over the dinner table. That was but, just but like, it also, how inappropriate. It's actually not even about the conversation. They, they talk about how we used to have a sense that regardless of, you know, quote unquote, which side won, that the institutions were taking care of the country. And you might have a preference for a side, but you believed in in the not complete, but sort of partial neutrality of the institution. And now we don't believe anybody's neutral. And now we don't believe anybody's on our side, yeah. except the people who we think are on the same side. And it and it was I mean, it's a long article, but it really made me think about how these groups that have seen, it's grotesque grotesque to call it success, but they've seen success in, in the way they've been able to cultivate this super violent boy culture. And they're doing it in every other sense of culture now. And they're aided by the internet. And I'm just like, whew, 
we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, to undo. That happened with the vaccination stuff with yoga. Like it, yes. it reached, it reached like all the different demographics. Yes. Wait, Colin, are you hanging in the yoga crowd? Are you uh, a yoga mom? <laughs> no, but I used to do hot yoga and I loved it. And oh, I get back oh, into it. Awesome. But so it's interesting when you say that, like, even among teachers, you see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, this, this thing really got my brain going yesterday. And I just think, yeah, man, I wonder, I wonder what ways in whatever groups we're in, we can gather to undo it because, you know, mm-hmm. what do you do? What do you guys do in your teacher's lounge? What do, what do we do here on this show? What do, what do we do in each of these little spheres we're in? Be- it requires vulnerability mm-hmm. and that's the hardest thing in the world to do. Yeah. You, you, you know, we know how hard it is to do that just in a, if you're married or in a relationship, just to be like, okay, I need to be vulnerable and ask for something or say yeah. something or say, I don't understand yeah. or I'm mad at you or whatever. Like I'll say the things. Yeah. It's so effing difficult. I mean, it's well, just how do so we expect hard. kids to do it? You know, yeah. that's if what I'm saying. If, if the teachers in the teacher's it. lounge yeah. can't do exactly. it. Yeah. But that's what I thought this episode did so well. And what you brought, I mean, Colin, you gave everyone permission to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every single person in this episode got vulnerable. Yeah. And oh, it was it was beautiful. You were you were beautiful. There's a reason. You know, we looked back because we thought, God, we all remember how we felt at the time. What did people have to say about this? And there's a reason that people multiple times said this is a landmark episode of this series. And truly, I do not mean this hyperbolically. Truly, Colin, I think you you led this episode. You were the tip of the spear. You set an intention and you brought a presence and everybody went, oh, we get to go there. We're going with him. And you should have won a fucking Emmy, Colin. You should have won a fucking Emmy. I was thinking and the I same thing. And I just wish thing. we had been able to keep you even after. I lived with half the AD staff and I remember them coming home from work and being like, why are we losing that one? We have to yeah. work with so many assholes. Why are we losing that one? <laughs> He's a treasure, a fucking treasure. treasure. Colin, I'm so glad you're working in film again. Um, do you have to go to the airport? You're leaving yeah, for the airport, next? right? I'm leaving soon. Yeah, I'm going to okay. Spain for a couple. A you couple deserve days. this. I just got back from Spain. Where are you going? Oh, nice. We're going uh, Madrid and then Valencia and then mm-hmm. Menorca. Ooh. Oh, my God. Fabulous. It's been a long time coming. And so we're going to have some wine and um, just hang out. Yes. Tell us what you're doing right now. Yeah. Where are you working now? Because I'm so happy that you're yes. not in school anymore. It's actually because of you, Hillary. No, it's not because of me. me. Yes, it is. You turned me on to this organization. It's a nonprofit. It's called Stockade Works. Uh, we're based in the Hudson Valley. Um, it was founded by actress and filmmaker Mary Stuart Masterson. She's oh, my boss. Queen. Uh, we, we train, we mentor, and we refer Hudson Valley residents um, for below-the-line crew positions in TV and film. Um, And our our focus is access and inclusion. Obviously, and unfortunately, so many people in the industry behind the camera and in front of the camera look like white cis males like myself. And it can be like very much a boys club and hard to get in. And so we fight to uh, have access and inclusion for um, more women, BIPOC, veterans, anyone and everyone that feels like they've been barred access to the the industry. And so we train, then we mentor and we refer. So bring your projects to the Hudson Valley and we can hire local crew. And not, and not everyone looks the same. Um, <laughs> and um, I love what I do. So That's honestly, amazing. for anybody at home, if you could learn how to work in the film industry from Colin, 
do it. Like you are a wonderful teacher. You're a wonderful advocate and you're just so fun, which is why I, I hate, that we had to have you on for this really sad episode, Colin. We should be dishing about our drag queen <laughs> adventures know, right now. I know, I know. And I do have to say, you brought me on for that project a couple of years ago and I hadn't acted in so long. And I was like, oh, I'm like finally getting to play like an openly gay character. And remind me to never go full birdcage if you ever What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> Colin, the whole time we're filming a movie together, he was Over like, the top. am I being too Over gay? And I'm like, what are you talking about, Colin? You're a gay man. <laughs> Yeah, the birdcage no. exists in my top five films of all time. Yeah. So I I'm going to say you should go more birdcage. Okay, maybe. And like we, need to, <laughs> we need, to more. Yeah. We need yeah. to do more. We need to do more. We need to have the fan base write in like a totally different narrative for us Let's to do, do with you that does not involve tragedy. That is just pure pleasure seeking. Uh, That's what we please. need. Let's go Let's make a it. movie. In Let's Spain or the Hudson Valley. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. I'm down. It was so good to see y'all. Thanks for having me, I by the way. I love you. I love you. It's um, so lovely to see you. Travel so safe an and will you send time. us lots of pictures? I will. I absolutely Please. will. And okay. one of my best friends who is an actor and his wife live in Madrid. So, Hill, will you put Colin yeah. and I on a text? I want to connect. Yeah. You. I'll, I'll get you a little tip list. Oh, I would love it. I would love it, love it, love it. I'm doing it right now. I'm so glad you came. Yes. I love new ideas, new places. Yes. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Baby, I love you. All right. Be good. So much love, Con. See you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Oh, my goodness. Angel. He's amazing. I love him. Perfect. He is just such a gorgeous human. He's so uh, patient. I could just, I remember him being such a patient actor to work with yeah um making space for everyone oh hillary thanks it's a good hillary just hooked us all up on text um and he's so smart and insightful uh Mm -hmm. just yeah you're Mm -hmm. right if you have a chance to work with him take it yeah in any capacity well also he came up as a child actor you know both colin and lee were child actors and Rather than be rivals, they were advocates for one another. You know, they set yeah. such a yeah. good example. They could have been bitches to one another because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they like took jobs from one another. You know, I bet they yeah, tested yeah, yeah. for all the same stuff. And instead, they were collaborative and really supportive. And Lee really like mourned the loss of Colin on our show mm-hmm. because he lost his soundboard. You know, the person that he got to do fun banter with. So, I don't know. Like we said at the beginning of Colin being here, the meta of it all. Yeah. Colin being dismissed, Jimmy being dismissed, and then getting them back just for a moment felt Mm -hmm. like a cheat. And not to be snippy, but occasionally we are. (laughs) To get him back for a moment where he mopped the floor. Yes. With everyone and was like, oh, you're going to, you're going to lose this. Yeah. Peace out, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> it was so gorgeous. Yes. It was gorgeous. I just hope that the folks were snippy about when, oh, we made a real big mistake. Uh-oh, we messed up. Oh, oh no. boy. Yeah. But by the way, mm. for anybody out there that's casting a movie, put Colin in it. Because one, yeah. he makes everything better. But two, um, he's also such a pro and makes everything behind the camera so fun. Like, let's only yeah. work with fun I like fun. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's all I want. More fun. Fun, damn it. Um, it looks like we have a listener question, but I can't see it. Oh, I've my got it. Weird setup here. Okay. Uh, Christina asks, during the school shooting episode, where did you draw your emotions from? Did you do research or watch any news coverage from previous school shootings? That was such a heavy episode, and I went through so many emotions watching it. I'm sure it was very emotional filming it. I'm trying to remember what I did. I think we all probably read some articles and watched some documentaries and things, but I mean, ultimately, the it's just your worst nightmare. I mean, well, and we'd been living through it. That's the thing. Yeah, you know, it's a. We spoke at the top of this episode about what it was like when Columbine happened. And, you know, for me personally, I don't know if it was an hour or five hours before I knew that it wasn't my best childhood friend's high school. But it felt like years. I mean, everyone at my school was hysterical. And I I imagine for each of you, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a moment where your very sense of safety in the world around you gets broken. Mm. And for that to happen here in, in our home country over and over and over again, and for it not to be the highest national priority to change it is something that changes you. Mm -hmm. And, and I know for me and, you know, just given the conversation the three of us have had, I feel like I can say for all of us, that's a, that's an emotional presence that doesn't go away. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to school after Columbine and it did shift. It shifted the way everyone looked at each other mm-hmm. in school. We were all, especially the kids that did show up because at the time, you know, we were thinking, oh, it's the goth kids. It's mm-hmm. the trench coat, you know. And so the kids that did show up um, <coughs> grungy and wearing clothes that were like different from everybody, we were it pushed them out further. Remember people, we all just, there was this sense of, yeah, it changes your, the way that you look at your safety in the world, but even just among your peers where you feel like Mm. it's a safe, it's a safe place. We're all, yeah, we're all going to get past it. It's all okay. Right. Right. Wait, right. Maybe it's not. And to have a distrust like that, uh, seeping through your hallways every day, Mm. especially for people who already feel that kind of distrust at home and then they go to school and then they're dealing with it there. It's, it's just uh, impossible. It's just so hard. My high school experience was that I was fringe with the trench coat mafia. They were my mm-hmm. people. We would go to poetry slams together. We did theater together. Yeah. Like those were my friends. And mm-hmm. the ringleader of that group uh, was my friend, Scott Kirkpatrick, who, uh, if you've ever, like, seen my posts on Memorial Day or Veterans Day, he ended up joining the military <laughs> because he really believed in the freedom of speech and wanted everybody to have that. And um, he ended up dying in Iraq. So when we filmed this episode, he was still alive. And he was mm-hmm. the person I was thinking about because, like, to your point, Joy, those kids were pushed further out. When yeah. now we know all these— I always e- felt so bad for them. Now we know all these years later— that um, it was bullshit. And I knew it was mm-hmm. bullshit in 1999 when it happened, yeah. when those groups were targeted and blamed. Um, at our school, they had like a trench coat ban that went into mm-hmm. effect. 
And they would, like, you couldn't wear Jenko pants for, like, a while because you could hide something in there. It was stupid. It was stupid. And it targeted everyone who wasn't a jock. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now we know um, otherwise. But when we filmed this episode, I remember still feeling a lot of anger that these groups were being targeted because we did kind of, that's what we perpetuate in this episode, you know, that it's the picked on kid. And yeah, I guess I was just really struggling with that. And so um, I listened on my iPod on repeat the song from Les Mis, Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. And mm, I remember that. Just like feeling the loss of not just the kids who had been shot, not just the kids who perpetuated these things, but also the loss of like the kids who no one trusts anymore and who are being like side-eyed and ostracized. Um, We had a member of our crew who'd been shot and he came and sat with me and kind of talked to me through the, the wave that you feel, not just because you're in physical pain, um, but because you don't know what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. you know, and you know that you're so vulnerable, you know, I was like, is it real that like Peyton hasn't lost that much blood? Is it real that um, she would be fading in and out already? You know, there were technical questions I had that I didn't want to screw up because yeah. I knew that there were kids who actually lived this experience and you don't want to get up. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was really wonderful. Um, yeah. And we found out after we filmed all the stuff in the library, and I didn't even want it in the library because that still felt so Columbine-y. Like the library stuff just, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a reference I felt like was too much. But um, after we filmed, we found out one of the extras that we had on set had been a student at Columbine when that happened. And she had no mm-hmm. idea what our episode was about until she came to work that day. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just one of those, like, freak things that happens in the world where you're like, what? How? I mean, did she go home or did she stay? No, she stayed. And she talked with our AD staff, and she was very forthcoming. Amazing. She was amazing. And I wish, I mean, I wish I knew who she was or, like, had stayed in touch. If if she's listening, like, please reach Mm -hmm. out to us. Because we were all very, very, very unsteady about this. Guys, I cannot emphasize enough that I did not want to do this episode. Um, mm-hmm. And she made us feel like it was important work. So for that angel out there, wherever she is, you know, you put a lot of uh, fears to rest. You're incredibly helpful. So mm. thanks. Thanks for that. It's beautiful. God. She was good. Well, I think, how old is most of our listening audience? Are we all grown-ups? Are we all parents and adults in some fashion? I'm pretty sure. That's f***ed up. Um, You know, the the thing about our show is that we do a lot of goofy stuff, but it also is a platform to talk with your family members about this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Even if you think your kid is not exposed to this kind of stuff, I'm here to tell you that they are. are. My own son Mm -hmm. at 11, 12 years old uh, stumbled upon videos that I found on his iPad. He was like, mom, watch these. um, 
watch these funny videos with me. And they were compilations of like animal videos and epic fails. You know, they get Mm. labeled under epic fails, which is something that as a parent, you're like, okay, funny. It's like, it's falling off the skateboard. Yes, exactly. It's skateboard videos. Mm -hmm. It's like a dog falling off of something. You know, they're all harmless. And as I watched these videos, these compilations with my son, I started to see some very uh, alarming things mixed in. Like Alex Jones and certain. What? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And s- this is why I don't let her watch YouTube because I know there's, it's like you just never quite know what Joy? you're going to get. They're splicing stuff in because they're going after the kids. It's spliced in so split second and so quickly. But what it does mm-hmm. is it establishes these certain personalities, these radical personalities in our country. And it sets a tone with a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. Oh, that's a funny guy from that funny video that I watched that was Mm -hmm. funny. And then the next thing is they're seeing a video that's a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And it establishes Mm -hmm. a pattern of these voices are funny. And by the time that boy is 16 or 17 years old, unless he has a parent or an authority figure that comes in and is like, this is not funny, and I'm going to lovingly explain to you why— they're yeah. radicalized. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you got to show up in your kids. It's lives. really you hard. They're into, you got to yeah. pay attention. You got to pay attention. Well, and to your point, you've got to look for where it's buried. Yeah, it's, it's totally buried. Much like when a woman <clears throat> finds herself in an abusive relationship, people go, oh, well, how'd you end up with that guy? Or why'd you stay? Because it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with the snowball being the size of a boulder. It starts with the snowball being the size of a pea. And that's how they're getting into our, our, in front of our kids. And these things snowball. And, you know, just last week, I'm not even going to say his name because I don't want to give him any promo, but Mm -hmm. this horrible, violent, misogynistic, um, he's like an MMA fighter or something, uh, finally got banned from Twitter and Instagram. And this is a guy who had amassed millions of followers, mostly teenage boys, teaching them to disrespect women, beat women, rape women. Mm-hmm. And boys were like, no, he's the coolest. He's, he's just being guy. funny, man. He's just being and funny. He, he got in in these little videos. Mm-hmm. And to Hillary's point, by the end, millions of kids were watching him talk for minutes and minutes and minutes. And it was horrific. I mean, horrific. I couldn't get to the end of some of these videos. And I'm an adult. Mm. But I want to know what we're up this against. Is, and this is why it's so important to show up and pay attention to what your kids are watching and what mm-hmm. they're... Uh, and also to teach them to self-govern. Yeah. So that they have the ability to, to spot some of this stuff and go, oh, I don't want that to be a part of my my world. I don't know... I don't know that I know that I don't fully understand it all, but I know that I trust my parent or my guardian or the person that mm. is mentoring me and looking out for me when they say, This is not good for you. I'm not gonna try and sneak it. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. try and continue. You have that's a character development mm. thing. You have to start teaching your kids young. And as they grow, they will. It works. I've done it with my own kid. I've seen other people do it with their kids. You can teach your children to self-govern. And that's mm. one of the most important things because voices like this are probably not going any, away anytime soon. No. Everyone has a right to their own thought and their own space. And that's why it's so important to be vigilant as a parent so that you can monitor and teach them to monitor themselves. 
Uh, it was so much easier growing up That's in the 80s, honestly. Oh, oh, if I could I go back and be an 80s mom, God, you better fucking believe I would sign up break. for that. Just books and bangs? Let's go. <laughs> books and bangs. Books and bangs! <laughs> Can we put that on a t-shirt? Please, Jesus. Oh books and bangs. God. Tell me about it. Well, honestly, like hats off to all of our guest stars in this episode because Allison mm-hmm. Scagliotti yeah. was amazing. Oh. Um, yes. Amber was amazing. W- who's the guy that played Marcus? Yeah, who was that? Do we he know? was awesome, and why didn't we get more of him? Yeah, he was a great actor and should have played Felix, is my take. Yeah, he was mm. great. Yeah. Yeah, I would have supported that. That would have been awesome. Um, but Marcus, Marcus Coloma. What? Jinx. <laughs> or is this the pattern of us naming characters after after people's real names on our show? Seems like Yeah, it's it. like they just didn't want to have to deal with it. They didn't want to they have were to tired. think about it. It was like... <laughs> Honestly, with a cast this big, you can't expect the directors and the AD staff and all the producers to remember people's real names and character names. Don't be ridiculous. And, no, 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 of course not. Add them to the Hall of Fame with Antoine and Bevan and so many more of our friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, before we leave, we have to address the Keith of it all, which I know that we are going to talk <sighs> more about in the next episode. Um, yeah. Let's put a disclaimer up for suicide on this episode um, mm-hmm. because that's ultimately what it is. I don't, I don't know if this is a school shooting episode, but I know for a fact it's a suicide episode. It's a suicide episode. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that is accurate. Pain is, uh, pain is very real when you're in the depths of it and you don't see a way out. Yeah. And so let's make sure we post resources. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the loss here is kind of unbelievable. Between losing yeah. Colin slash Jimmy and Keith slash Craig. So, yeah. I don't know, guys. What a shit yeah. episode. <sighs> what a heavy one. I love you guys. And I'm glad that we walked through this together. Mm. And um, I'm grateful that um, our audience is sticking with us through this. And hopefully, everybody was able to take something positive away from it. Yeah. And I do hope, you know as we move forward that we'll be able to dig a little bit deeper into some of these issues, you know, into what is happening online, into how we can activate our families and communities um, to push back against this behemoth of violence that we're up against, how we can advocate better for each other, for our friends that are in pain, for people who might be you know, struggling with depression or suicidal ideation, you know, we said it earlier that it's, it's so important to be vulnerable. And, and, you know, Colin said that beautiful thing that people can't help you until you vocalize and ask. And one of the things that's inspired me the most about our One Tree Hill family is that people come here to be vulnerable with each other. Mm -hmm. People share Mm -hmm. their stories and not just with us, our fans share them with each other. They've built friendships across the world yeah. that are real. Yes. And I hope we can continue to be a place where we can vocalize and ask and witness each other. Sophia, there's an organization you just sent me a, a t-shirt for. Um, I've got 99 problems. Uh, can you can you tell everybody what that is? Um, yeah. So guys, something really amazing has finally happened this year. Um There's a lot going on in the world and having one resource line to call doesn't make sense. If you are 
struggling with a mental health crisis, you don't necessarily need to call 911 to talk to a police officer. You need a mental health professional. And so Mm -hmm. this year here in the U.S., we have finally, with the incredible support of, you know, many activists who've championed this cause, our country has launched 988, and it is the emergency mental health helpline. So... Great. You know, if God forbid you witness a car accident, you call 911 to get the cops and the firefighters. If you or someone you know is having a mental health crisis, you dial 988 and you will be routed to a mental health professional team and response option. And so hopefully 988 can really help a lot of people Mm -hmm. um, get the help that they need just as quickly as, you know, you would if you called 911 because there was a fire or something. So That's fantastic. Gus asked to wear that shirt to school. He did. Yeah. He was like, oh, can I wear this buddy. to school so people so people know? And I'm like... <laughs> I love him. Yeah. I also, I love, you know, I'd, I'd shared about it and the, the folks who've helped to run the outreach said, can we send you some stuff? And I was like, oh my God, I want to send care packages to all my friends. Yeah. So it, it's been fun to send you all and a couple of other people some mailers. And they also made these great stickers that I've just been sticking on like telephone poles and mailboxes. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I feel like a high school kid again. Are you a vandal? I mean, kind of. Okay. But instead of like putting up no FX stickers like Peyton, I'm out there being like, call for your mental health. Here's where you go. Done. Oh, I love you know, see it. me at the grocery store doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you guys. Let's spin a wheel so today. We need to end on an up note. I feel like yeah, we, we need all a little bit of okay. levity. Yeah. I'd like some. I'd like some happiness with the two of you. Well, we got to take care of each other, and I hope our you know our listeners are doing the same thing. Let yourself let yourself take breaks from the darkness. It's important. Mm. What do we got this week? We've got most likely to. <gasps> Guys, I just went to the store and picked up. Well, first of all, I dyed my dog. Well, you gotta pink tell them what it is. <laughs> but oh shoot, <laughs> this is how excited Joy is. She's like, okay, <laughs> winner, <laughs> winner. So, so on background, it's most likely to dye their hair a crazy color. And is go, Joy. Meal spent. Go. And then okay, okay. So I just went to the drugstore and and I picked up a, a bottle of uh, purple hair dye. I think I'm gonna you do it. You should do I'm it. Excited. Do it, do it. I mean, to be fair, I just toned my gray hair and it ended up a little purple. So it wasn't intentional. Oh, did it? It's fine. It's a fine line though. Like there's a purple where it's like, oh, this is kind of just, I don't know. It's like bad 90s. No, it's going to be hot. It's not good. No, And then there's like sexy pastel, like unicorn purple. And I don't, I'm going to go for that. So we'll see. My girlfriends and I got these cool hair kits to like put this pink wash in our hair early pandemic. My girlfriend, (laughs) she does all our hair. Early pandemic, we were all locked up. We were like, this will be so fun. Let's like get on Mm -hmm. Zoom. We'll all dye our hair together. And I realized, I was like, oh, but my hair is too dark to put a wash in. So I just looked like Brooke Davis in season three. Just like real, (laughs) like in the sunlight, my hair was an unnatural shade of red. And I was like, God damn it. So I I need the two of you to do the pastel washes so I can live vicariously. Well, Joy wins it in real life. Which character (laughs) do we think is our dye your hair crazy colors? Oh. Did we have? I don't think anyone. Wouldn't Peyton? 
Would Peyton be? Guys, we don't need to talk about Peyton hair. As an Peyton artist. hair is traumatic. I was going to say Lucas, because the only person who changed their hair oh, more than yeah. I did was Chad. So <laughs> it was only a matter of time before he was like, we're doing it. We're going to dye it Raven's blue. Um, that would have been hot. You know what? He yeah. should have done that for the boys. For like one of fun. the national championship episodes or something. They should have had them all dye their hair yes. blue. That would have been so cool. Ugh. So fun. Next convention, oh, we'll just tell we all the boys. Time. Oh, perfect. Keep That's the it. dream alive. Um, we'll get the spray in right. kind. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for sticking through this with us. We're so grateful that you came, and uh, we hope to see you again next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. And next episode, we'll see you for oof, the aftermath. Season 3, Episode 17, Who Will Survive and What Will Be Left of Them. 